0: I want to thank Pastor Ashley for the opportunity to address you as an old dad today. Um, I want to wish all the dads among us a happy Father's Day. You are necessary, you are needed, you are important, and we thank God for you. Well, my name is Pastor Dave, and I'm a part of the team here now, and we're in a series called Waves, because faith comes by hearing Hearing those sound waves. Faith actually rides in on sound waves. When we hear the word of God, faith can come into our hearts. So today, we're going to hear from this old dad. I've raised four and loved thousands. Three biblical principles that I have proven in my life to be the gold standard. These principles mirror the way God the Father sees us And deals with us. They mirror the way God the Father sees you and deals with you. As the Father sees us, we want to try to see our kids, our neighbors, but Bible words for everybody around you and yourself the way he sees you. If we see the way the Father sees and act the way the Father acts, we're using some gold-standard principles. So today, I'm encouraging you, I'm calling this message, Father's Day, The Father's Way. So we're learning the Father's ways on Father's Day. I want to encourage you all with these three points that I'm going to give you today. I want you to receive the principles. I want you to get them down in your heart. Don't receive them just like facts or information. They'll do nothing and we're sort of wasting our time. But if you keep them in front of your face, Bible says, if you put them before your eyes and keep them in front of your face, like you keep your phone in front of your face, these ways will change your lives and the lives of everyone around you. It's true. So number one, receive these ways. Number two, believe that these ways, when you practice them, will actually change your life and change the lives around you. I have found this to be absolutely true in my life when I practice these ways. So receive them, believe them. That's faith. When you receive it and believe it, you just had faith come to you. But then you've got to practice these principles. Start them today. It's a perfect day. Any day is a good day. Every day is a good day to practice Father's principles. You want to be a doer of what you receive and believe, not just a hearer. The whole point in hearing this today is to give you the father's perspective of his kids and give some practical, applicable things you can do to move forward in all your relationships. This is Father's Day, Father's Way. The Father's Ways change lives. If you're keeping notes, that's the first one on your cheat sheet. God's ways, the Father's ways change lives, yours and those around you. So here we go, principle number 1. Love uniquely, point number 1, love uniquely. A few weeks ago Pastor Ashley introduced us to Ephesians 2:10, which says, "We are God's masterpiece. You are God's masterpiece." I am a masterpiece. He, she, they are masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things that He's got planned for all of us. You are a one of a kind masterpiece. If you've never heard this, this is a biblical truth. There is no one on the face of the earth like you. You are one of a kind. So are your children one of your kind, one of a kind, and so are your co-workers one of a kind. And we've all been created uniquely because God uniquely has a purpose for us. So we want to accept that your children, that little kid who's that teenager that's driving you through a knothole right now, that that kid is a unique creation of God who has a divine purpose. There are seven billion plus of us on the planet right now And no two of us are exactly alike. Even identical twins, if you've ever met any, and you talk to them very long, you'll see they're as different as different can be. This testifies to me how God can create similarity, and yet everything is so uniquely one of a kind. Our fingerprints prove it. The way we think proves it. God loves diversity. They say there's 300 to 400 billion stars in our galaxy. But they say there's three trillion trees on the earth. The creations of God. I would defy you to find two trees out of three trillion trees that are exactly identical. And you'll find there are no trees. And scripture says, we are like trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. The Father loves diversity. He made you unique. He wants you unique. You are not to be someone else. Why I've wondered why he loves diversity. And the best I can come up with is that he needs all kinds of people to get all the things done that need to be done. There are, and you've run into it in your life. There's numbers peoples. I'm not one of those. There's geography people. I'm one of those. There's word people. There's business people, arts people, music people, inventive people, mechanical people, talkers, thinkers, technicians, administrators, you name it. All the diversity gets everything done on earth that needs to get done. First Corinthians twelve six says there are varieties of workings but the same God who works all things in all persons different kind of workings and in, in and through all of us but it's the same God what an amazing creator we've been created by that works all things in all persons. So your children are unique. They're one-of-a-kind masterpieces, you know that. They're special. I kind of cringe when I hear moms and dads say, I treat all my children alike. Understanding the way God made them unique, does that sound like wisdom? If you treat them all alike. I have found you say one thing, you say the same thing to two children, one of them it inflates and the other one it deflates. That's because they are not the same. And our main task as parents is to help our children observe our children's uniqueness, love that uniqueness, and discover and develop that uniqueness, not to hate their uniqueness or feel strange or out of place because of their uniqueness. Now there are two pressures in the earth great greatly today that fight the uniqueness that God has created in all of us. They are comparison and conformity. Let's consider comparison. It's all over social media. There's a constant comparison. Let's just look at the way kids compare. They compare hair, clothes, vacations, food, academics, athletics, appearance, stuff, their bikes, their toys, their friend count, everything is compared. They hear things like, why can't you be like your brother? Why can't you be like your cousin or that kid across the street? Or how about that kid in your class? How come you can't be like that girl? All of this constant comparison shouts at kids. And many of us have grown under that, grown up under that. That we're not enough. We're never going to be enough. We're not good enough. We're less than we're no good. We're just plain weird. Weird is not the right word. Unique is the way God made us one of a kind. Yes. This kind of pressure shatters self-worth and self-esteem. I was talking to pastor Ashley and she gave me a great example of this in her, her two kids. Ryder and Sophie, four-years-old and seven-years-old were both making masterpieces of art for her. Of course, Ryder, the four-year-old boy, he was done way sooner than his artistic seven-year-old sister. So Ryder ran his picture over to Mom and said, Mom, this is it. Look how I love you. And it was a perfect boy picture with sticks and a little bit of sun and you, you know boy pictures at four. Then Sophie brought her creative artistic hearts and flowers and sunshine picture over, gave it to mom. Ryder saw his big sister's picture, turned and said to his mom, my picture really isn't finished. It's not done. I've got some more to put on it. Can I have it back? That was a childhood comparison. He was thinking, my piece of picture is not any good compared to my sister's. That kind of comparison happens subtly, continually to children, happens to us as we grow up. It happens to us in big people circles. It happens all the time. And all that it does is say, you're not enough. You're not good enough. You're not not just right. Second Corinthians 10 gives us the biblical perspective of this. It says we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. Don't you dare, you're unique, compare yourself with others. It is dangerous. It is not wise. Galatians 6.4 says, do your own work well. In other words, be the you that you are and be it the best you can be. Come on, people. Because you're only the only you is you. The only one that can be you. In fact, as we stood here praising the Lord this morning, only you can praise God like you can oh, we're all singing the same song and we're all doing the same thing, but you know your heart is bubbling stuff that other people's hearts aren't bubbling. You're in situations they're not in and you're bubbling a praise to God from where you sit, where you stand, where you live, and only you can give the unique praise and worship to God that you can give. I can't give him your worship. You can't give him mine. So do your own work well and then you'll have something to be proud of. Don't compare yourself with others, Galatians 6, 4. Do your own work. Be about being the unique you are and doing it the best you can be. It's the work of being yourselves. Second enemy of uniqueness is conformity, a.k.a. people-pleasing. It's that pressure to fit in, to be like the right kind of folks, to be like the cool ones, trying to be like someone else's uniqueness. Now think about that. You're trying to be someone else's uniqueness. It's an impossibility, it'll frustrate you, and it'll always leave you feeling like you come up short. Because you were not created to be, nor can you be someone else. Proverbs 29.25 says, it is dangerous please notice that dangerous the book of wisdom proverbs solomon it's dangerous to be concerned with what others think of you but if you put or think of what the lord thinks of you put your trust in the lord you should think not about what people think about you but you should think this way what is the lord thinking about right now me am i being the best me i can be then you're going to be safe You're gonna be pleased. Powerful proverb. (laughs) Romans 12.2 says, don't conform yourselves to the standards of the world. Don't conform yourselves to the social conformity patterns around you, but let God transform you, change you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. In other words, and many of us have discovered this, this is a truth. This is an experiential truth. When I asked Christ into my life, I didn't change from the outside in. I changed from the inside out. I cannot conform myself to the standards of the society around me. And yet many times I hear moms and dads pressure and push their kids to certain social standards so that they, the parents, can look good to their peers. Do not insist that your coworkers or your kids are just like you because they're not they are unique just like you only you can be you the world needs the uniqueness you are but it also needs the unique person that your children are so love your neighbor love your kids enough to let them be unique don't always demand your own way 1 Corinthians 13.5 says love does not demand its own way. Comparing and conforming are causing many young people these days to get this message subtly. You just can't be who what you were created to be, which leads to massive depression and often suicide. People will say, why did that teenager kill himself? Why did that young person, such a bright future, kill himself? Right there there's a pressure that says you cannot be who you were created to be an ultimate frustration parents and people of hope we can diffuse this kind of thought by accepting and loving people around us helping them be who they are and who they were created to be <clears throat> Principle number two on your cheat sheet affirm continually affirm Continually People all of us we need affirmation Affirmation is something that we were all created to need. I think God made us that way because It's like we sang this morning. He never gives up on us. He keeps loving us. Just listen to the kids Out of the mouth of babes came real wisdom he loves me my dad loves me and we need that kind of loving affirmation I don't care your age I don't care whether you get it we're like downspouts that need a continual flow of affirmation because affirmation runs through us it doesn't last it's very hard to bottle because life and situations are ever changing a fresh flow of affirmation is ever needed you want the people around you especially your children to have their cup running over with affirmation from you you want to be an affirming person in your workplace in your home with your children with your co-workers Uh huh that's the way the father sees it you want to celebrate your neighbor's efforts. You want to celebrate your kids' efforts. I'm gonna talk kids now. Believe in them, value them constantly. Tell them how much you love them and how valuable they are to you. We want the kids to know how valuable they are. I could tell there's a bunch of good affirmation happening to those children on our screen today. Parents, you want to get really good at affirming your children. It builds them up in a time when other people and situations are pulling them down or saying to them, you're not enough. Now I want us to consider from God's point of view why your neighbor, why your children are so valuable. The first one has again to do with Ephesians chapter 2.10. We are a masterpiece. I would like to take a Van Gogh or a Rembrandt or a Degas And I would like to have the best of us make a copy of that. Plagiarize it. Make an imitation of it. And then sign your name at the bottom. This is Degas by Dave Hackett. I guarantee you my Degas is not going to be worth the Degas Degas or the Rembrandt Rembrandt. Who created the masterpiece determines its value. (laughs) Applaud yourselves because you were created by God. It was a preemptive act that you didn't start and you couldn't stop. You're created by God. God is the maker of you, masterpiece. On the bottom of one of my foot, Feet, I have foot on the bottom of one of my foot. <laughs> I have a little red birthmark cross. I take that as God's signature on me. That this, I am a divine masterpiece. You are a divine masterpiece. You need to see yourself that way. And you need to see the people next to you that way, as imperfect as you are, as imperfect as they are, we are still God's masterpieces. The second way to determine the value of something is to look at the price someone is willing to pay for something. The jersey of the Argentine soccer star Maradona, he his jersey sold for $9.3 million, a soccer jersey, $9.3 because he wore it the time he made that, quote, hand of God score in the great soccer tournament. It is the highest price paid for any article of sports memorabilia to date. A soccer jersey someone was willing to pay $9.3 mil for. Jesus Christ was willing to pay his blood for you. Come on. What's worth more? Soccer jersey? You're worth more than $9.3 million because the Son of God is willing. He says, you are worth my life. You are worth my life's blood. That's what you're worth. That's what your kid is worth that is what your co-workers are worth because we're a masterpiece and we were willing to die for Now, another thing the scripture says is that we were created to be the temple or the house or the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit recently the home of Walt Disney sold for $1,095 million why? because the stick and the stone that it's made of was worth more than, more than one, it was worth one million notes, the same stick and stone that makes your home. And yet because Walt Disney lived in it, it sold for a thousand ninety-five million dollars. Hmm. I wonder if you go to sell your house, if you say, I lived here. I wonder what kind of price you could get for yours. Now in California, you might be able to get that price. <laughs> here, you won't get that price. <laughs> Because Disney lived there, ready? Because you're the home of the spirit of the living God. Come on. Yeah, who lived in here? Who lives in this carcass? Christ in me, the hope of all glory is in there. The spirit of God lives in this house. These things reflect the Trinity's attitude of God's eternal value that He puts on you, on your children, on those crazy people around you that you're trying to get along with. That's the value of humanity to God. So I want to give you now three practical ways to affirm your children. This is important for dads and moms. It's important for anyone. Anyway, this is this. These methods are excellent relational methods ready three practical ways first of all i want to say that attention each one of them is a form of attention attention is love when you give someone attention you're affirming them you're giving them value when you give them attention you're giving them something of your life which you cannot get back if you give them stuff or money Stuff and money are okay. They're good gifts. But you can get stuff and money back. Your time and your life, you cannot get back. That's why a kid will value your attention, Dad, more than he will the baseball glove you give him. Because he wants you more than he he wants that baseball glove. He he wants that four-wheeler. But I'm telling you, your attention is worth more than the stuff you give them. So here we go. There's three kinds of attention. Number one, give wholehearted attention. How many times have you heard, Hey, Dad, will you look at this? Hey, Dad, come on over and see this. Look at this picture I made. Can we hang it on the fridge? Hey, Dad, you know what I can do now? Listen to this knock-knock joke, Dad. Listen, Mom. Mom, would you come see this? Can you see what I do? Giving them that attention affirms them, and gives them the love you need. Second kind of attention. You want to give attention when they call for you. The second kind of attention you need to give, you want to give, is physical attention. I'll never forget, it was the late 90s, and I was in the Ukraine uh, teaching some students at a Bible school. And two or three of the Bible school students were going over to a post-Soviet um, <clears throat> orphanage, a real post-Soviet orphanage, and they were saying how there was not enough room on their laps when they went in there. So we took a trip over there just to bless this orphanage, uh, this church blessed this orphanage in this story I'm telling you, back in 97. The kids were well fed. They were in this big industrial building. Their beds, their bedrooms remind me of Navy, my Navy um, bunk, uh, barracks. Little tiny beds all in a row, neat as a pin, toys on little dressers and chest row after row after row, 60 to 80, two-year-olds, three-year-olds, four-year-olds, five-year-olds. The nurses were all dressed in these very British looking pinafores. they looked crisp and clean. The kids were clean, the kids were fed. And yet this happened to me, and this, I could hear a silent scream in the place. When we went to leave, because I I heard that silent scream, being a kid person, I could hear it. They were all, just looked all honky-donky and just beautiful. I want you to picture a big institutional building with those great big windows and heavy curtains to keep the cold out. And as we're leaving, one little head, Three-year-old, four-year-old, three-year-old, little heads pop up behind the curtains. And as we leave, and this 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 breaks me to even think of it to this day, one at a time they just put their hands on the glass like this. They lacked physical contact, physical attention. The scream was so loud, I just I just I wept all the way back to the Bible school that day when I saw all these beautiful little children, and that's what the students meant when they said, I don't have enough lap space for all the children that need a hug. I want to say this to dads, especially today. You're not a hugger, you're not a touchy person. Would you just give that up and get over it? Come on. Come on. Put your big boy pants on. And give that kid a hug. Squeeze him, hug him, rumble him, rassle him, high-five him, pat him on the back, hug him around the neck. The failure to thrive I saw that day in that orphanage marked my life forever. I will forever give kids high-fives, fist bumps, hugs around the neck when they want it. The final kind of attention that you need to give is verbal attention. Extremely important. Tell them with their words. Life and death are in the power of your tongue. And when you speak certain words to your children, you're either building them or bashing them. Speak words of life to them. Your words give them significance. Your words give them the point of view that they will have about themselves. It gives them importance and value. Your words are gifts. The Peter Transen, Peterson translation makes this beautiful statement. Let every word you give be a gift to another. You can give gifts to your coworkers. You can give gifts to one another. You can give gifts to children. If you watch me, I'll often go up to children. Why? Because big people don't go up to children very often. I go up to them and I say, boy, I say things like this. Boy, you look good today. Oh, you look so pretty in that dress today. Are you that pretty on the inside? These are words of affirmation and attention. I love Isaiah 43, 4. This is words from God to us. This is God speaking, the Father speaking. He says to me, you are very dear. And I love you. That's why I gave up nations and peoples to rescue you. You are that dear to me. So there are whole lists. One time as a teacher, I saw just a huge list of affirming words. I'll give you some. I'll give you some of my favorites. I like to tell people, I like you. Flat out, I just like you. I like the way you are. I like the way you talk. I just like you. I like you. How many people say that to you? I just like you. I say to kids, man, are you fast. I got one that I say, you're the best hugger I know. Or I love it when you sing. Or I'll say to them, you're such a good reader. Man, you're one of my favorite people. That's one of my favorite lines. You are one of my favorite people. I used to say to my troubled daughter, where would I be without you? If I didn't have you, my life would be far less. I say things like, I don't have another you. You're the only you I have. And if I didn't have you, I would be so much poorer. I say things like, boy, you're looking good today. You have a real way of doing something. I like the way you handled that. Well done. Nice job. In every encounter with people, Try to tell them something right about them. So many people are doing the antithesis, the opposite. Tell them what you like about them. Tell them. Look for that thing. Appreciate them for something. Make every word a gift. You want to be recognized. I'll tell you, if you make every word a gift to people, people will be glad when they see you. They will be glad when they see you. Way better than if you tear them down, they'll turn the other way if you do that. Words of appreciation are a lot like the values of homeless in California. They're constantly on the rise. And words of depreciation are a lot like when you take that new car and drive it off the lot. There's a serious drop in value. Do give to others that kind of attention, affirmation. Final principle. A quick one. Love unconditionally. I love John. Love unconditionally. Unconditional love. No strings attached. I love you whether you're this or that. Whether you're right or wrong. Whether you're good or bad. Whether you do this or that. I love you. Doesn't mean I, have, I, uh, I, I agree with what you're doing or anything like that. Love is unconditional. Unconditional. And that is a God skill. That is the way God loves you. John 13.1 says this, and I love it. Jesus knew that his hour had come, the hour for him to leave the world and go back to his father. And then this is the part, having loved his own who were in the world. In other words, while he was there living among them, he loved them. He loved them to the end of his life. That's the way we want to be. Love people to the end. Jesus was a gift from our Father to all of us that he created. Calvary, Jesus going to Calvary was all about Jesus' act of self-sacrifice that gains you and I forgiveness. I love the way we sang about the power of the blood. It's his mercy, his love, And the power of his blood. So you want to be. This is the way God loves you. He forgives you quickly. And easily. Completely. And freely when you ask. That's the way Christ forgave you. You want to be that kind of forgiver. We're not like that. By nature we hold on. Like the silly little crab. That will hang on till he drops in the pot. Give forgiveness quickly, easily, freely, especially to your children. Give it completely, just the same way Christ forgave you. And then ask for forgiveness quickly, easily. Just be quick about it. The longer you think about it, the more stubborn you'll get with yourself and say, I can't ask Him to forgive me. Yes, you can. Get good at giving forgiveness and asking for forgiveness. Be quick to ask your children when you're wrong. It'll train them in the right way. They'll they'll see a modeling of, I can be forgiven and I need to give forgiveness. And then I need to get forgiveness. So be practiced and good at. Loving unconditionally means you're practiced and good at forgiving and asking for forgiveness. And then finally, never give up on your kids. Tell them, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. I'm never going to stop loving you. I'm going to love you to my end. You got to let them know that. You got to be willing to say, I'll love you to the end. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love knows limits. It, It has endurance. Real love has endurance. there's no end to it there's no fading of its hope it can outlast anything (sighs) sorry (laughs) I want to talk to you for a minute just about God preempted you when he created you. Scripture says he knit you in your mother's womb. When mom and dad conceived you, there was a preemptive act of God where he knit an eternal spirit into what they had just procreated. That was him being your creator. I want to say to you, he's not your father preemptively. He chose to create you But you have to choose to make him your father. Fatherhood from God is a relational decision that you make. The principles and the ways we've looked at are the way he sees you. Do you believe it? Do you receive it? Will you try to practice his ways? He loves you uniquely. He created it that way. He likes the unique you you are. You actually bring him pleasure. You bring God pleasure when you're the unique you you were created to be. He eternally affirms your value. And he loves you and wants to relate to you as your father.